0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Daniela.
1: And this here is episode six.
0: How are you this week?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How are you?
0: I'm good. Have you been fermenting anything?
1: Uh, sort of started today. So what well, does that mean? I, I am fermenting something starting today.
0: You started, okay, what did you start?
1: Um, uh, I started a ginger bug. I I suppose I did have a fermenting um, experience that I don't think turned out well, but it's still fermenting. So I am fermenting something. Um, It was a a fermented ginger soda of sorts that did not require a bug. And that was just me being impatient and wanting something right away. So what is a bug? A ginger bug. Yes, um, it's it's kind of like a a, a I don't know a mother. Of, <laughs> you can once you create a bug, you can use it to make ginger soda, um, ginger beer, or pretty much you can ferment anything with it. It's kind of like a SCOBY of kombucha. I don't know, do you have a better way of explaining it?
0: Yeah, that works. I mean, a sourdough starter similar to that. Whereas you can just use capture wild yeast and things on um fruits or, or whatnot to get the wild uh yeast and bacteria culture started so unlike a scoby where you need to start with another one you can start this from scratch and uh yes. yeah it's but it, it perpetuates correct you can you. you can continue to use it if you keep it alive and keep feeding it like a sourdough correct
1: dough. yeah you have to keep it alive or keep feeding it so um so i started a uh a shorter or quicker version where it just requires a couple of days of fermentation or three days but it's just basically ginger with it was a different recipe I found um, I didn't um, it was ginger had sugar but the odd thing was and lime but the odd thing was it had some salt two teaspoons of salt and um, whey and so that's very no salty <laughs> and so that's very salty to begin with and um I was wondering about that when I was doing it but I'm like, well, that's what it says. I'm going to follow the recipe. Um and as you you probably know, I'm not the best, but I followed the recipe fully, completely through. And 3 days later, I saw bubbles and um all the ginger had had floated to the top, so I was I tried it and it was just it tasted like a margarita. It was a very salty <laughs> salty drink that So it um, tasted good then. No, I well it was okay, but it's not what I was looking for. I went, I like sweet.
0: You wanted a sweet soda. Yeah. And this was soda pop.
1: and this was a salty, weird combination of lime. And it made me th- feel like I'm drinking a margarita, which sure, if you're in the mood for that or are looking for something like that, it might be good. But so anyway, it's still fermenting on the shelf longer now. We're going to see what it, what happens to
0: it. So that one's still fermenting and you started the ginger bug for a future sweet soda pop.
1: Exactly. I was gonna I, I that was sort of the plan to begin with, but then I was impatient. So now I'm I went back to my original plan and just started it today and I'm gonna feed it for three or four days and then make a soda. And then I also brewed tea to start making uh kombucha again, just because I haven't made it in a while and hopefully the scoby is healthy. We'll how long see. have you had
0: that scoby in the refrigerator?
1: Probably a very long, I've, a year. If mm, not, you've used I've it. used it. Yeah, I've used it. Um, no, say
0: how long has it been since the last time you brewed kombucha?
1: Mm, oh, probably like five months. I don't know. It was, it's been a while,
0: which may be too long, which is why well, yeah, you also because got, it
1: wasn't fed. Um,
0: which is why you also got a commercial bottle of locally brewed kombucha so that you can, create a new scoby Which from that. I have
1: not done yet ever actually but yes I've done it before I'll show you it's... you have yes Wait, have how... really yes and how does that... how do you make it
0: you just get as much surface area on the top of the kombucha the brood kombucha mm-hmm. uh because the scoby the the symbiotic oh I'm dropping the 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 acronym off uh, right off the top of my head but um but the mm-hmm. The bacteria and yeast will form that rubbery-like consistency from fresh kombucha, whether it's from the store or from home. And putting that into a container, like a, a flatter jar kind of works. So anything with more surface area, the better. And then that surface area will start – the top will create a film, and then that will get thicker over time. But just keeping it covered with a loose-knit cheesecloth or or, or fabric – maybe a rubber band or a string, keeping that on tight uh, so that flies and other things just don't get into it. And then over time, that develops that film. It can take a while, depending on temperature and whatnot, but, you know, a few weeks. And then you have a SCOBY, and it's a great way if a person accidentally kills their SCOBY by leaving it in the refrigerator for way too long. Not that five months, it won't necessarily work, but it may not be as strong of I think it's going to work.
1: Well, I might have to do optimistic. a few batches. I feel like I've done this before. I've let it go for too long and yeah. kind of brought it back to life. So I think it's possible. I just yeah, It might take uh, me a few brews.
0: Yeah, I've let kombucha go for quite a while, and, and it still bounces back sometimes, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's just not. It's just, eh, but it, hey, you can get a nice, clean, new SCOBY if you start fresh. Well, so, yeah,
1: I've never done it where um I don't think I have. Maybe I have, but... um. It, it, it's been sitting in uh, a black tea, and now I'm, I've am i purchased green tea to just to try something different. So um, we'll see how it's going to turn out mixing, you know, a, two cups of black tea that the SCOBY is in right now with my green tea. But I think it'll be good. Sounds like it. Yeah, I really want to try experimenting and making different flavors. But it's hard to find. Of course, you can't use certain teas, the oily type, you know, or you know, um, non-caffeinated, um, stuff, but I, I really want to make delicious flavors of like berries and, um, there's all kinds of recipes online. I know I, I, I'm not very good at researching why well, I didn't spend too long doing it, but I just tried to find like, uh, variations of tea mixes and it just really tells me the teas I can use and cannot use. And it's like, I know that I just want to know, can you give me like two, you know, tablespoons of this with you know, You'll, um,
0: you find out that kombucha is definitely one of those fermentation niches that has a vast amount of knowledge online and know. resources. And yeah, there's there's a lot of different.
1: But different I ways. decided it, that's kind of why I didn't really go into it too much. I'm like, well, let me just first see if this will work out with my SCOBY, and then once I start getting into it again, I I figure I can look into more of varieties of flavors. But I definitely like my kombucha too, sweet. I mean, not like really sweet, definitely fermented and, um, but I like it sweeter.
0: So, and you're really focused on the, the drinkable ferments right now.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's um, great. And you?
0: It's well, a little bit of follow up on the, the kimchi that I mentioned last week that was, uh, from that one recipe that I had posted in the show with notes. With the pear. With the Asian pear. And I ended up getting too busy and too tired in the evening, uh, that I was making it to, to f- add the other ingredients. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just add them tomorrow. So I, I put the Napa cabbage and the diced carrots that I had into a jar, uh, with salt brine. And then a few days passed and I was re- realizing that I hadn't, I hadn't added anything else to it. So I have right now, a, a I don't, really know if i'd consider it a kimchi but some fermenting vegetables some fermenting uh napa cabbage and carrots in a a jar and uh i guess the only thing that's semi-interesting about that not that it's really a kimchi but kimchi generally being rather bubbly a great way to get the bubbles at least i'm experimenting with is I let it ferment, get really bubbly. Now I'm putting it in the refrigerator to let it ferment slower over time. I might put it in the in the basement too. What flavor
1: would that even have? I can't even imagine without any spices or anything. It just seems. Well, think about sauerkraut.
0: All it is is salt and. Oh,
1: exactly. So it's not it going to just be sauerkraut, really.
0: Yeah, but it's larger chunks of Napa cabbage, and Napa definitely has a different taste than regular uh, European cabbage or whatever you want to call Still, that though, round head cabbage. Can't
1: seem to be tasting. It's got a few far- carrots in it. I know that would be, I don't know, carrots? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it will be okay. But uh, as another thing, as a follow-up for the the kimchi uh, discussion from last time, I was just looking around and found a appetizing kimchi omelet recipe. So think about making an omelet and adding kimchi to it. I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, it just looked good. So I it, it made me wish that I had some uh, fresh kimchi to work with right now or that I had been starting a ferment of some. So I'm going to uh, start another batch of kimchi soon that we'll actually be trying that out
1: are you gonna try just a the traditional batch that you, the ones that you usually make just um your simple No, i'm gonna try this, this same recipe i'm gonna try oh, the recipe
0: okay. again with the asian still, pear and everything i
1: still am not so sure about the pear in a kimchi
0: oh fruits of course you can, i am, like i mean while fermentation def- the Sandra cats original book is got a um, a fruit kimchi in it. I mean, like, full-on fruits. So you've, I can, well, if it's all and,
1: fruit, yes, I can imagine that. Yeah, but with that. some
0: spices in it, too.
1: See, that's... Oh, I don't know.
0: Well, yes, but you like your sweet soda, so...
1: What does that mean?
0: It means you like your sweet as a sweet or your savory as a savory, but it doesn't seem like you like to mix it that much.
1: I... Maybe. I think I'm also a little hesitant to, like, unknown like, to change in a way, maybe. Sure. You're You're more optimistic whereas i feel like i i always think things aren't going to turn out and then they turn out and they're great so but yeah
0: yeah i mean i, I definitely kimchi
1: I'm i like still... to experiment
0: so we'll see how that turns out some other experiments that have been going on uh one study that just recently came out is um about a wine byproduct being added to yogurt as a, a way of increasing dietary fiber and also uh keeping yogurt aging well in refrigeration. And so this is a study that's geared towards commercial production of yogurt, but you'll find it in the, in the show notes where the show notes are at firmup.com slash podcast slash six. And it's, it's interesting. So if, if any of you winemakers out there want something to do with your leftover grapes after, Those of uh, you would either discard of those or, or use them in some other way. I guess it's a, it's a good source of dietary fiber and mixing it into yogurt. And they're also talking about salad dressings as being another option is, I guess, an interesting, an interesting way to do it. And it's, it's using the wine, grape, pomace, the WGP is it's, it's referred to in, in this, this article. And yeah. So if you have wine, grape, pomace, add a little bit to your yogurt. Although
1: so is it adding it to the yogurt or is this something where they're stating if you add it to the yogurt um, it's would you, would they be essentially replacing it, so it's extending the
0: shelf life of yogurt? It it, it extends uh, it it slows down the process of lipid oxida- oxidation which is going to happen over time even in refrigeration. So it just keeps the quality not necessarily it's, so it's not fresher. going to have anything to do with the live active cultures or whatnot to help them. It's going to yeah. be the freshness of that uh, taste. The, the lipid proteins are well, oxidizing and slower.
1: I'm guessing that the, the stuff that you are adding in is also beneficial in some ways because it's coming from grapes. and
0: um, So it's, yeah, not, it's not
1: just something that you're adding to it. I don't you know, know
0: if they're sterilizing it before putting it in or whatnot. I mean, some of it was they were using dehydrated or uh, liquid extracts. But hey, I say if you want some more dietary fiber, just throw in some uh, some wine, wine grape pomace. And uh, if you're looking for percentages, it also has that in the study because they did some uh, consumer uh, studies to see taste test wise. And it looks like mixing 5.59% of the grape juice concentrate was uh, used and, and people were w- accepted it up to uh, a gram of the wine uh, grape pomace. So, oh, it, I'm sorry. It looks like they were mixing the wine. Uh, the grape juice, it was a grape juice flavored yogurt so that it wouldn't give any hint or off flavors of it. And then one gram of the wine grape pomace. So it's not even very much, but I guess it might make a difference for your dietary fiber if that's of of interest to you. Um, An and extend
1: to shelf life.
0: And extend the shelf life. But or if you're making yogurt at home, life. you're probably not looking to to extend it for that long because the fresher, the better.
1: Well, um, yeah. If anything, if someone has some of it, why not just reuse it versus dump it? I mean, so.
0: Yeah. If you're using just, heirloom yogurts, though, you know, you have to keep them going weekly. So you're probably, I guess you could accumulate some in, the, in a back stock um, that you're saving for people showing up. But again, no, I say. I was talking about
1: the, the grape. If someone is making wine and has a lot of... Oh, local. you're saying
0: they could save the wine grape pomace?
1: Yeah, it's like recycling or upcycling in a way. You're not just dumping it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think you could do it, uh, add it to other things as well. Um, but uh, your uh, father makes some wines too, or has experimented with that, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's mainly his friend who does it, and had he kind of... Um, inspired him to purchase some purchase some wine and, and make it some grapes um, and... uh, grapes yeah and make it i mean they make it like in these humongous jugs ga- i mean the
0: carboys I, the five gallon carboys
1: yeah and uh and i mean my dad likes his wine sweet maybe that's where i get the sweetness from um it's it's i mean i think it's great delicious wine but um
0: it's like grape juice with a little alcohol in it
1: Oh, it's it has a lot more alcohol than one would think. And that's kind of this, the thing that's deceiving about it. You could have a couple of glasses and you think you're drinking just a delicious yeah, grape juice. And then you, you definitely feel the alcohol. But um, yeah, I wonder. I, I don't actually know the process that they... Now
0: we're going to have to see what they're doing with their wine grape pomace. Be yeah, like, hey, I wonder, save that for us. That's true, we actually. We test it out and see if one gram is too much in our yogurt.
1: I mean, I think I they've already started their batch for this year but next they usually do it in the summer or in the fall i think
0: so they're already past the stage yeah i think they're the
1: the wine is currently fermenting but um but yeah well we'll Well, have to find out we'll have
0: to check up on that
1: yeah it's surprising why did i never care to know how they make it Hmm, it's interesting
0: well we'll follow up on that in the future yeah other uh article that i ran into this week is on is from mashable.com and it was about Lifeway Kiefer, um, Lifeway company. Uh that it, it's kind of the background and also how the CEO has used social media to really grow the company drastically. But it it uh the CEO is um the daughter of the founder. Um her name is uh Julie Smoljanski and uh in In 2002, she took over when her father died, but they were originally from the former Soviet Union uh, and they came over to the United States in the 70s as, um, you know, entrepreneurially minded, looking for opportunities to start their own businesses. And they had, a, I think, a grocery shop or different things. I think it was called Lifeway. It's just it's an interesting write up that, uh, um, you know, one of the first companies that started selling kefir back in the eighties.
1: When kefir was not known whatsoever. (laughs) Just
0: kidding. Yeah. Not, not not as popular. I mean, on the, on the underground or people that, you know, pass it on to each other, but unlike today, I don't even think there was anywhere to commercially purchase kefir grains, uh, as a starter culture. So it was, it was really, you had to know someone probably back then. And so they, back then took it, it was media loved this, this idea. It was like around the cold war time. It was, it was Russian stories, things to to look at. So given that they were um, from the area, they, they uh, had reintroduced Kiefer to the area and yeah, it was, so they were using media back then with journalists finding the stories interesting. And then when um, you know, they, Lifeway has been on uh, my Twitter, facebook everything since two thousand eight, so that's really grown them i mean they're uh, uh it's just kind of interesting to to look at it uh, mainstream um products
1: with old school
0: yeah and I mean it's like they're uh I can't find the number right off the top but
1: oh my comment was um I find it surprising though i feel I feel like even though Kiefer is on every grocery store shelf these days i mean i've I feel like I haven't gone to a store where I haven't seen it. I still find it surprising. Quite a few people don't know what kefir is. At least, you know, uh, some of my coworkers workers or just, you know, random people. If, if kefir comes up, it's, it's a lot of people don't know what it is. I mean, it's it's, it's like people know what yogurt is.
0: Yes, I think everyone I, I, knows what yogurt is. I think so, more people know what kefir is, and I think that's just going to continue to change because yogurt is... Well, yeah, is... And,
1: and that's what I was going to say. I, I'm just... It, it, it'll be interesting to see if there's that one day where everyone knows, everyone knows what cuver is. Sure.
0: I mean, and it's kind it's... of the 50s really kind of started to slowly bring in um, flavored yogurts and made yogurt popular. You still ask a lot of people, even most people, a large majority of people in the United States have probably tried yogurt. Far fewer of them have probably tried plain yogurt. Fewer really? Even still, you would think that? Fewer even still have probably made their own yogurt or realize that it's well, possible course. to make well, their own. That
1: doesn't surprise me, but that's just.
0: So that's what I'd like to see is, is more people making their own yogurts and kefirs and different things like that. And uh, it's, it's nice that there's products like this. I mean, it's, it's a hundred million um, annually um, annuals. They, they, they make a hundred million annually in it's selling their, their kefir. So it's, it's, it's definitely a large, um, large organization. Uh, read the article it's been a part of
1: a large corporation <laughs>
0: yeah i mean it, it it spreads the message of kefir and otherwise and and that was see what i would question is a company
1: that makes that much kefir i would love to compare the um the bacteria in it compared to like a homemade kefir with the grades keep. grades you know, we keep reusing the grains because they're not making the same way. So I, I would just be curious to to see if there really, is it really equivalent in benefits or how, how different is it? And I've had their kefir and it's very mild. It's definitely more like a, a yogurt or, or, you know, versus I think even Nancy's kefir. I, th- I think there's, that's a brand. Theirs is much more bubbly and more uh, definitely fermented longer. Yeah. And, I got to have
0: the bubbles for me. It's, it's got, it's, yeah. It's a lot of about, that, about. Uh,
1: I think life with kefir is just more smooth. It's like a smoothie and it's in a way, you know, it definitely has a kefir taste, but I feel like there, I've tried their vanilla flavor. I haven't tried their other flavors. Um, and it's, you know, it's a mild one. I think it'd be great for kids.
0: Yeah. And that as was as, actually something that I was looking up for, uh, I was curious, such a large company, how did they pronounce kefir, kefir, uh, uh, kefir, I you could like say as well. Kefir. Um, I kefir. I kind of say the two, the, the two major are uh, kefir or kefir. Kefir is kind of the in-between. I'm not going to choose either direction, I kind of feel. Um, I found some YouTube videos and further corporate videos showing the production line. So it's definitely a large, definitely a large organization of that stuff spinning down the production line, but they say kefir on one of their forums, their lifeway Kiefer forums where people can post things. Uh, it, uh, the only thing that was interesting was uh, seeing how they had a section on how their kids, uh, d- kids of people who purchase kefir, call what, the, how they pronounce kefir, because a lot of them, if they're really little love their kefir, start them young. That's great. They don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> um one person said that they uh their child calls it bieber like justin bieber so uh i want some more bieber um give me some bieber that's cute and uh yes i'm sure it sounds cuter i mean a lot of them call them smoothies
1: see because like uh ke- kind of
0: yeah well and especially if they're getting some of the lifeway brands that are like very Flavored sweet and, and like all kinds of crazy uh whacked out flavors i like my kefir plain i'm just a, i'm a plain kind of guy see, but
1: i i i definitely like blueberry have to, kefir i do no i like blueberry kefir I it's bubbly I, I don't like the strawberry kefir and i've only this is nancy's brand that i've tried of that this is that a local
0: brand or is that national No, it's from oregon i'm okay.
1: pretty sure it's either portland or salem oregon oh, okay um but i'm almost certain they're in oregon and uh they uh I, lo- I love their blueberry flavor their strawberry flavor is just kind of mild too more like um the is it the lifeway brand? And they have a raspberry flavor too. But I just, those, the strawberry and the raspberry to me tasted very similar and definitely more mild. I, like their blueberry is the stuff that that's good. Um, especially sometimes the sore it's even on sale because you can tell it's it's going to explode. Do you think
0: that's <laughs> these blueberries blueberry less popular?
1: That, why?
0: That it, it goes on sale because it's about to explode. It's it's too. No, f-
1: I don't know. I'm honestly, I, I think maybe, I, well, I was always, me, and I don't know why, but I think I was always under the impression that the blueberry was their one of their first flavors that they came out with. I think
0: it's a great flavor. You've had me try that before, and I like it. Um, uh, my trick with the, with that is to let it if it's not quite to the stage of bursting,
1: but to you, leave it out again. longer
0: and let those sugars get eaten up a little bit more. Because I really love bubbly kefir. It's just, it's just
1: yeah. Their their stuff is very good, and I like their stuff. But for um, I, and I am going to actually look this up, but the Lifeway brand, I'm curious because they do have some crazy flavors and it's like, how did I really flavor their stuff? Like, is it, what, what, is it natural flavors? Like what, what makes, what gives it that flavor?
0: I'm sure it's like a lot of yogurts out there. It's just flavored with things we don't necessarily want to know about. But at the same time, maybe they have different versions since it, if they're doing a hundred million in sales, they're selling to a, a a wide audience. So maybe they have different versions of things that are healthier or not. Yeah, I know they it's have organic stuff and It's been a year since I've tried non-organic. Lifeway. But I think it was probably one of the first Keefers I did try.
1: My dad buys their brand. Then My dad's on a kefir. <laughs> Yeah, so they uh, they like Lifeway. That's just the brand they get, but that's right. It's I an go.
0: accessible brand. Hey, again, as long as people are drinking And it's
1: reasonably it. priced, so it's not too pricey.
0: There you go. The way to make it even more reasonably priced? Make it yourself. Yeah, definitely.
1: Oh, I def- I totally agree. But you know, if someone doesn't want to make it or doesn't it's, like making it, it's still, worth. It's, 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 it's worth, worth purchasing. It's healthy.
0: And keeper grains, those are ones that are. They, it takes a lot of work to keep those keep those going as well. I finally think I'm in heavy a, feeders. <laughs> well, it's just that they don't take very long. I mean, twelve to twenty four hours to ferment. I usually find the twelve hour range for the grains I have. And so once they're fermented, then you have to add more milk to them. But my way of doing it now is, well, I used to just leave it in the back of the refrigerator for long periods of time. I have brought mine back to life many times. It's alive and kicking now, and it's fermenting it regularly is actually making the kefir taste a lot better overall. But uh, well, you make
1: and, a small batch so that you can keep just, just yeah, a little
0: quart size batch, and I'm drinking it a lot more. I'm just in a phase of, of kefir and, and drinking a lot more of it. So, yes, it's – but I'm just – I ferment a couple days in a row, and then I pour – fill it up that quart jar again with the grains, put it in the refrigerator for about a week or so or until I start running low, um, which is a few days sometimes, and then put that – like. It ferments still slow enough in the refrigerator. It's not quite the same, but I still just drink that version then, and then start over again. Your so
1: recent batch though was over fermented. And is that the word? Is that a word? That's over-
0: the that's th- that's the refrigerated batch oh, okay. that you don't like that you've tasted. But it works for me, and it makes it so that I don't have way too much kefir, because if I brew more less than a quart. I find that it just is off flavors too, or brews too fast. can make and, it consistent. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't drink a quart of keeper a day because I'm busy eating yogurts and uh, three different heirloom yogurts and all different kinds of things. So got to keep up on all these, all these different dairy ferments somehow. And, and the refrigerator definitely helps.
1: I was thinking today about how, because, you know, I've pretty much um, have a cup of yogurt once a day, at least if not more. And, it's just amazing. I, I was thinking how it's like. I I think maybe even three years ago, I probably wasn't eating because I go through phases. But I wasn't eating any yogurt. And I'm like, how how was that possible? No
0: just yogurt. to not
1: have any at all. Yeah, That's I mean, it's sad. And existence. Even thinking when I was in college, you know, that I did not ever eat yogurt. I just, um, it's just funny how like today or the time time I'm in right now, I just can't imagine not having any yogurt, um, even. a day or two it feels strange if i which hasn't happened recently but
0: well it's kind of weird for me looking back
1: you've eaten some horrible stuff when you were younger
0: i'm grateful that my body has put up with a lot
1: yeah didn't you have like a grape soda that you like to drink or or didn't just some some
0: i've liked a lot of different things i liked uh balls the guarana energy drink i thought that stuff
1: was good too though
0: It's good, but it's got a lot of caffeine in it that I didn't really probably need. It's a good flavor. I like sleep more than caffeine now. And yeah, I mean, things like ramen noodles and whatnot in in college and uh, almost living a total existence on ramen noodles to the point where I got sick of the the seasonings and only ate the plain noodles with butter maybe. Or sometimes just the plain noodles because I'd have plain noodles for breakfast, noodles uh, with butter for lunch, and then uh, mix it up somehow with – you know. Um,
1: oh, my favorite thing was eating the noodle and then drinking the seasoning water.
0: Mm, see, I got so sick of the seasonings.
1: Why? And I think that's well, where well, the, the extreme, worst though. part of it is. But you're, you're extreme.
0: Not that the the fried ramen noodles are really that healthy anyway, I'm sure. Uh, definitely not much nutritional value. Um, but that that was definitely popular for me in, in college. So yeah, thinking that versus how I eat now, way different.
1: I know, it's it's just so crazy i i guess i think about what am i missing on right now that you know maybe five years from now i will think how did i ever go without eating this I'm just you know
0: yeah i think it's some stuff of those, like that makes me think i feel things. more like i'm in phases though versus it, there being something that's going to be profoundly new i mean that'd be great if there was if there was just that profound shift well, in in diet more so than
1: i think for me though with yogurts it wasn't that I always liked yogurt, but what I love about it right now is the homemade versions of yogurts. Versus even now, that the, I I can't say I found like a, an amazing store-bought yogurt that I loved. And part of that is I do like the the I, there's that one um, Green Valley or what is the brand? The Organic Valley.
0: Brand. Organic Valley, maybe.
1: Their drinkable yogurt is good, but that's expensive. And I mean, I would drink that in one day, and it's. I think almost five four dollars five dollars for i don't know how much is in there but but i had never really found a yogurt in this in the in a grocery store that i i loved so
0: I so think, the heirloom yogurts are what re- so okay so that is kind of profound i mean before you knew heirloom yogurts exactly. all you knew about yogurt were the but, things that were commercially available yeah
1: and and even though it was good and you know i do like occasionally purchasing a vanilla flavored yogurt or you know just to spice it up it, it's not something that it just i loved it was great and I I'm, maybe it is a phase where I'm just totally loving yogurts at this moment, but I feel like these are going to stick for a while.
0: So maybe you are right about these profound shifts in diet or different things in five years, looking back and seeing what we ate now and what we are eating in the future might be bigger shifts than I'm thinking it is. And it also looks that way from other um, topics in in the news and in fermentation in general are about looking deeper into the science. And of course, there's been people that have dug deeper into the science, both as a hobby and in academic study. But it seems that there's a broader range of people that are interested in it. I know you said you didn't like the whole trends topic, that that article about fermentation being a trend for 2013.
1: Only because I feel like things always get misinterpreted and somehow even something that's so good and healthy can be manipulated into, I mean, it's kind of like the, the Frank's advertisement. It's great. Eat it. And it doesn't even have any benefits, the sauerkraut, Um, you know, and and I think that's why I'm, I'm so sometimes against the trend. of. So we're not looking
0: at the buzzwords today. Today, it's about the focus on fermentation science in how it directly relates to flavor. And that's a little different than microbiologists or um, the main academic study of microorganisms when it relates to food. A lot more of the literature is regarding food safety. Sure. There is a lot of science on the specific bacteria and everything else that is in these different things. And especially when it comes to uh, production value and consistency and efficiency and, and, and whatnot, but it's, there's one article that talks about a restaurant in new york city that uh momofuku i've never been there but i would like to go sounds great they have a fermentation lab outside of their restaurant i think they also have restaurants in in sydney yeah and one other place that i can't think of right off the top of my head but they have a fermentation lab they deal with um soy sauces and vinegars and kimchis. They're trying to make them a little different. Not as traditional. Think about a miso with pistachio. I think that those kind of experiments, those kind of flavor profiles, the shifts, the changes, how the the fermentation works, that's what really fascinates me about working with microbes in food. Um, Because what if in five years we're eating something that we love, like we're eating heirloom yogurts now, that we that
1: was founded in 2012
0: <laughs> Yeah that sure I mean maybe someone experimented with it at a, at an earlier date but it never became big or never became known and and whatever the reason now things are becoming more known I find this stuff uh very fascinating and this is what keeps me interested about fermented foods is just not only traditional even traditional food recipes uh, traditional things passed down from generation to generation, some of those things really aren't shared widely either. And so, you know, both hearing about traditional ways that families have fermented, as well as the new experimental ways. I mean, because we're we're living in a time when there's like cookbooks, if uh, modernist cuisine, you know that book? Yes, I do. Or those that oh, this, selection of six books, six? yeah. And then there's the newer like condensed version. Um, that you don't have to spend $600 on, just $100 or whatnot. But that
1: so, one is also...
0: It's bets based more for if you don't have all of the like lab equipment. Which
1: most people don't. It's
0: allowing you to cook like a scientist in a home setting without having to get all kinds of crazy equipment. And they break it down as to what kind of equipment. It's still
1: uh, i i th- isn't it still quite a bit of equipment and pri- it'd still be a price well, it says but what's but
0: the first thing you should get what's the second thing you should get I think thermometer and and you know a a a gram scale those kind of things I would agree have made a huge difference in my cooking and 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 everything over the years of being able to precisely measure things when I want to and so we have things like modernist um cooking i mean it, it, People are interested in the science of cooking. I also uh, saw there's um, a gastro class l- looking at the physics and science behind uh, cooking on um, Coursera.com where they do free online courses for people to um, to learn from professors you know, on Coursera at different universities throughout the world. And uh, maybe I'll take that one to kind of look at the cooking side of things. How things Ooh, shift and change.
1: Do you know who's teaching it, or where's the professor from?
0: Do not know where the professor's from, right off the top of my head. But there's all there's there's seems to be a growing interest in the science behind our food. There's always been, but it seems even more so.
1: Yeah, I agree and disagree. I think there are people that definitely want to understand how things work. Um, I think you're one of those people, but there are also quite a few people that like the tradition of food. And some people, um, some people just don't necessarily think food needs to be messed with. Um, not, I'm not saying I'm one of those people. I just, you know, I think, yeah, people are interested in the science behind it, but a lot of people also want to stick with the tradition and this is what food is. Why do we have to change it like in this situation though i i don't think there's nothing wrong with fermenting pistachios and and trying to come up with a new um sauce or flavor or an ingredient i think that's great um but you know kind of there's that fine line of science and food i mean science has done a lot to our food and it has been not always positive look at our supermarkets with frozen foods and the science behind that um so you know
0: so taking something arguably positive for food and healthy for food fermentation and trying to expand upon the traditional. Yeah. Ideas and, and, and that's concepts. great. And that's, that's more what I'm talking about. It's, it's not as much. Yes. If you go into the modernist cuisine, the, those, those six volumes of, of cookbooks, you're, you're looking at all kinds of ingredients that sometimes seem a little scary. The interesting thing about looking at some of those are that some of those ingredients sound scary, but they're not, they're not as much. So, what they do in the body may be somewhat scary, but most of them are, are rather um, they're not any different than salt, you know, in the sense of um, it's salt sounds scary when it's what sodium chloride is that salt or um, I don't know. I'm skipping that one right now, but <laughs> right now, but think- uh, you, you know, it's like you call it something else. You call it something that's not common and it starts to sound weird. So yes, if you go to the modernist cuisine side of things, yes, you're definitely getting really geeky in the kitchen, but with all these things that we've done, like cooking sourdough breads and, um, um, uh, making uh miso, all these different things people have been doing for at least hundreds of years, thousands of years. They don't need to know the science, but it's interesting when we do.
1: Well, yeah, and I agree. I mean, people have been doing stuff 100 years ago and had no idea why something was happening, whereas we have the ability now to actually know, oh, well, this happens because of this. I mean, it's, yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I'm sure even stuff that, you know, even we haven't obviously discovered why some things are happening, and 50 years from now we'll know more about it. But I think that um experimenting with food in this way fermentation wise i think that's probably a really good positive way of experimenting with food and and science behind it versus i feel like before we have done so much of experimenting with it in not such a good way so this is i mean i think this is great and i i mean i think it'd be great to see if they do come up with something that has never been done before and and
0: well, and and uh chefs are coming up with that all the time in, in in different restaurants and and yes, we're looking more at the artisanal side of food creation as opposed to commercial production. Because that's where I think you're like mixing the whole like science. No, has no, done a lot I, of bad I'm not mixing. With, with I'm just food. different. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think there are a lot of differences, but uh, like t- looking at the at the science from an artistic standpoint is really fascinating because it's opens up the possibilities of what tools are available. If you're only working from the artisanal side of of crafting something through experience, um, science can like skip ahead sometimes or change directions or or at least know more of what's going on. And that's what some of these different chefs, and that's why I say there's more interest in the science-related stuff. Because um chefs and and bakers and and specifically cheese Makers are going to one person, one microbiologist in academia specifically, Rachel Dutton, and that's what this article and another article from the New York Times that I was looking at, which you'll find in the show notes, firmup dot com slash podcast slash six, and it's uh, Rachel Dutton is, uh, and I'd actually just recently I was reading the book uh, The Cheesemakers Apprentice by. Uh, Sasha Davies, and I had noticed Rachel Dutton was mentioned in that, and that's where these other articles kind of uh, kind of mixed up, and, and I had to get interested in it. Rachel Dutton has spent time as a microbiologist studying the uh, micro ecosystems in cheese rinds. The great thing about cheese rinds is that they are are complex but simple enough. And so I think that's where she was looking for uh, micro ecosystems to study that weren't too complex to study, but also weren't simple. One single organism's cheese rinds offer a great opportunity for that. I think 2010, she started um, uh, extensive research on 160 different cheese rinds or, or something along those lines. And once that word got out, cheesemakers, yogurt, chefs, different people have been sending her samples sending her different things and um and she's been helping people just kind of like, just kind of came out of nowhere according to these articles um where she's she's really helping the artists of the world understand the science of cooking uh, i mean of of fermentation specifically in this and looking at sourdough samples to see that a lot of the the sourdough starters are similar throughout everywhere. I just find this stuff interesting because the idea of, um, you know, having the opportunity to have some of the different fermentations that I've had going for a a long while to be able to compare those to someone else's on the home scale. I mean, maybe that's where we'll be next is, um, you know, having opportunities where people can uh, in a, Rather inexpensively get uh, micrographs of uh, the electron uh, microscopes views of their bacteria, so they can name their bacteria in their cultures, especially family cultures that have been that have been passed down.
1: That would be pretty cool.
0: This doesn't sound like it really interests you.
1: No, no, I think it's intriguing. No, why do you say that?
0: Well, I just I think that it's. One person in the, in, in the article referred to it potentially being a, a, um, a golden, uh, like a nearing a golden age in fermentation, like back to your whole, what's going to change? What, 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 how is your diet going to change? And what could change in fermentation, our knowledge of fermentation, because there's so much stuff that we just don't understand about fermentation in general. It's not, I mean, even even down to the bacteria, I mean, once like the classification and, and separating bacteria was uh, naming all the different bacteria is now coming into question because, well, bacteria shift and change and, and, and borrow genes from each other. So what kind of... Um, how do you really classify bacteria that can do that kind of stuff? And so then um, understanding what's going on, on the macro scale, it's for me, one of the things that really interests me with fermented foods is just like I'm interested in science fiction and, and, and and space and and stars
1: and time travel.
0: (laughs) Yes. And time travel, but that's different topic. Those kind of things fascinate me on the macro scale, but it's, it's just as macro it's just as it's big, it's just as unknown or arguably just as unknown on the micro scale the microbes of this world that we're just barely starting to understand. We're oh, I barely agree
1: with you there
0: we're barely starting to understand the health uh health benefits and uh conditions that are are created through these these microbes in our in our body what we're like Ten times as many microbes in our body, roughly, than than us. I mean, it's we are we coexist with bacteria.
1: Didn't I read somewhere that someone said that we should um, something that says that we really um, oh, I can't even think about how I'm going to say this, but we are bacteria, or um, that's. Uh, how we're made up or I can, it was a Ted talk. It was, it was about that. I just can't remember right now, but it was saying that it's saying that that that's the largest uh, organ in our body, not an organ, but that's what makes us up kind of like they were referencing, you know, skin is the largest organ in our, in a human,
0: the cellular like... organ in, in like the, the yeah, microbiome I is potentially another organ system. In, it's not just in the gut. It's in everywhere. It's everywhere Every everywhere, orifice yes. is in everywhere we have and, and on our skin and inside of our ear is different than on the outside of our hand. And so there's there's just this amazing world inside so of us.
1: That we're just starting to figure out.
0: Starting to recognize. I wouldn't say necessarily figuring out totally, but uh, becoming aware of. And I know so little about this than even what's out there, but it's, it's the kind of stuff that fascinates me. And then being able to link that to something as intrinsic to our livelihood or our existence as well, being food, taking in this food that has been fermented by bacteria and then digesting it, you know, it it goes, it goes beyond all the buzzwords of and all the trending of 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 fermented foods and and probiotics and um health benefits or otherwise it's just kind of an amazing adventure just to to really start looking at the the large scale of what's out there what's available knowledge wise both traditionally and scientific and mashing that all together and i think fermentation food fermentation is is crossing a lot more with the traditional and the science and and giving us potentially new foods like the pistachio miso or different things like that. It looks like momofuku doesn't necessarily, um, they they put a few of the things into the menu, but they're not looking to like, I think they've been doing this fermentation lab since 2010. And so it's not like it's a, a race to get new things on their menus. It's more a massaging and experimentation. It seems that's my interpretation of, of what they're doing with fermentation. And, and so, yeah, so it's, it's it's fascinating. I think that the more people that are intrigued and interested, in this both commercial ventures, both professional chefs and home cooks and, and hobbyists, um, fermentation enthusiasts, we can all kind of add to the knowledge base, whether we're actively participating or not. I mean, it's just we got these little science labs in our kitchen. Whether we're focused on what those those microbes are and what the names of them are, or if we're just, you know, making a yogurt batch every week like our family has done,
1: how it's going to turn out.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's exciting in the sense of how's that yogurt going to turn out today.
1: Well, I, and I think that's what's uh, exciting for me is some things you know you pretty you pretty much know how it's going to turn out, and other things it's it's like a a lottery. You know, every every time you you never really know. Is it is it going to be like it was last time? And if it's not, you don't necessarily know what caused it, even though you did the exactly the same thing you did last time. So that's what I find interesting. Well, something and was fun. not
0: exactly the same if you're having.
1: But I mean, not sure. Obviously, something wasn't exactly. But it's it's kind of that mystery of what what happened because. I think I'm doing everything as I did last time and yet something wasn't right. Sure you could say oh it must have been the temperature or um that's usually my first <laughs> go to excuse but but uh that's what I like about fermentation is is the it's kind of like opening up a present when it's done. Let's see how what how, what's inside.
0: Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of what little I know about beer and wine fermentation. Those are areas where science is definitely a huge part of it. And I think there is that balance. Like you're talking about the fun aspect of not necessarily taking it that scientifically and just going from batch to batch and learning, but not knowing exactly what goes wrong when something goes wrong and being okay with that as part of just the experience. Whereas a lot of the the fermentation niche regarding wine and beers at home uh, home or definitely in commercial but looking at home enthusiasts uh, you know I'm probably more in the camp of like wild fermentation of the sorts of of beers and and wines and different things I mean I don't really make any of that stuff but that's the stuff that interests me it just it just feels a little bit more fun a little I I don't like things too restrictive from the science related stuff. So I'm not like, I'm not, um, I, I'm, I, I didn't go into academia or science because I not quite, I like kind of walking that line in between. I like to be, you know, not so scientific when I want to be and have fun with just the ferments and seeing how it, will turn out like kind of seeing like the magic in it still. And then other times it's, it's really great just really fine tune things and can figure out what it is that went wrong or what, what I could do better next time. So
1: weren't you kind of like that with coffee?
0: Yeah. Back in my days of, of coffee I mean, that, obsession, that
1: seemed like a, con- a very controlling environment that you were creating. I mean, you were, I remember you timing exactly your seconds of making an espresso and it seemed a little extreme in my opinion, but you were wanting to make that perfect shot,
0: which is ever escaping. <laughs> it's like they say about heroin or whatever, the like tracing, chasing the dragon. It's kind of that way. I felt felt with like making the perfect exp- espresso. It was just, you know, once it,
1: but would you have ever, I, that's where I wonder, would you have ever known or have made that
0: perfect? espresso? Perfection is a, a journey. It's, it's, much less about the, the destination. Um, but yeah, it can be frustrating, especially something for like discouraging,
1: coffee. I would think in my, for me, not for others. I think for some, that's what drives them to, to keep going. But
0: yeah, I think that's why I, um, kind of quit. Preferred, <laughs> <word> for, <laughs> no, I, I don't drink coffee anymore for, for other reasons. But, uh, I think for myself being a, uh, a so-called fermentation generalist helps it. So I don't get in that uh, cyclical cycle of perfection seeking, you know, mastery. I really enjoy being able to kind of experiment with all kinds of different ferments. So then when I get that like urge to really perfect one thing, I can kind of do that. But if I get frustrated, I can just go on to a different ferment. If I, if I'm really trying to get kombucha just right, and something's just going totally wrong, then I can focus on the yogurt or focus on the sauerkraut or do different things. And, and it's just there's just so many different fermented foods. And you know, once I run out of uh, traditional fermented foods that I know of, uh, there's always more. I mean, there's entire textbooks on. I'll start creating my own. Yes, uh, and uh, that's really the the. It's endless. What kind of things are out there? If you think fermented foods, if you've only tried the specific things that are are known or commercially available. And if you started making it yourself so that you can get live active cultures, if you're listening to this podcast, you must be interested in it a little bit more. So I urge you to get out there and uh, experiment a little. Try something different. Maybe something that you don't see online, be it ingredients or otherwise. Um,
1: so what do mix you a few to things together.
0: Time? Well, one of the things I'm I'm trying is to create a a Franken yogurt monster of sorts of taking some of the heirloom yogurts, which I love, and mixing a few of them to see if they create different results that are repeatable or if it kind of turns into a
1: a one time occurrence.
0: A one time occurrence that's kind of mediocre. So starting an experiment with that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Winter just seems like a good time to experiment with yogurt because it's
1: Yeah, what are you gonna do in the summer?
0: vegetables right. all kinds of vegetables i mean it's just it's a little harder it's like sure i'm still gonna ferment things but it's um here in the upper midwest it's a little cold so access to fresh vegetables that aren't coming from way too far away is not as accessible so experimentations kind of have to go with what's now there's plenty of of milk here in. Uh, In Wisconsin. (laughs) So it's a good thing to do over the winter. So I'm focusing a lot on on yogurts lately. And that's where my experimentations are going on. But we'll see how this Franken monster yogurt turns out. Um, If it turns out good, or if it turns out scary, we'll see. But if you have experimented with anything in the past, do share with us. You can, um, or if you have ideas on things and questions about how to go about experimenting in a different way, um, send your questions our way. Uh, You can email us at podcast podcast at firmup.com You can find us on Twitter at firmup Facebook the same way uh, facebook.com slash firmup or if you just want to go to uh, contact us you can go to our contact page and go to firmup.com slash contact Again, our show notes for this episode are at firmup.com slash podcast slash six, and you'll find all the articles that we've talked about today. Get out there and ferment. If you're interested in the science side of things, dive in, learn a few bacterial names of the things you're fermenting and have fun.